The Bucket Plan On Demand podcast series is brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity, a financial training, coaching, and IP development organization led by financial advisors, coaches, and business leaders committed to taking a holistic approach on advising. To learn more about our organization and upcoming training opportunities for financial professionals, visit ClarityToProsperity.com. Hello, everyone. This is Dave Allison and Jason Smith. Welcome to this month's The Bucket Plan On Demand podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about investor vulnerabilities and how to really create that need and motivate your prospect to want to move forward with you in that first meeting process. So, Jason, you know, at the JL Smith Group, you guys are on track to gather over $60 million this year of new client assets. And I know your main market, your main demographic is really that pre-retiree and retiree helping those individuals and families secure their retirement. So talk a little bit about what you guys are doing as advisors at the JL Smith Group to really create that need and motivate the consumer in that first appointment to realize that they need to hire you for this retirement guidance. And as you know, Dave, I mean, most of it comes out of that fact finder and doing the concerns and priorities ranking worksheet and just all the strategic questions that are layered into that fact finder. We covered that on the last podcast. So if you missed that one, definitely go back and, and check that out. Mostly, I mean, I mean, people, by the time you go through that fact finder and concerns and priorities where we're, they're ranking their number ones, I mean, they're already ready to go. But to your point, most of the people we're working with are about to retire or already retiring. And, you know, because of obvious reasons, there's not a lot of pensions uh, out there anymore uh, like there used to be. They're having to draw off liquid investable assets. And so ultimately, sequence of returns risk is a huge topic that gets talked about at most of those first appointments. And even we talk about it quite a bit in our in our seminars and workshops. I mean, last night I delivered a taxes in retirement workshop that uh, White Glove uh, actually uh, set it up for us. And we gave that taxes in retirement workshop. And uh, we, we layer in sequence of returns risk when we get to the point where we talk about required minimum distributions. And I'll, uh, I'll talk about that here in a few minutes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been interesting. Uh, 10, 15 years ago, nobody was talking about sequence of returns risk. And I think that, you know, this dynamic of shifting from, you know, employees who had pensions to now having to, as you mentioned, draw off of their liquid investable assets to supplement their retirement income combined with the market correction we saw in 2008 and the continued massive amount of market volatility that we continue to see every single year is really creating this phenomenon that that can really jeopardize somebody's retirement. And, you know, it's crazy. Last night I, I did a show of hands. I try to make our workshops very interactive. Like we always dual present. So last night I presented with Brian Bibbo out of the JL Smith group. Um, so him and I dual presented and it's awesome because like, you know, I draw the order of money on one side of the whiteboard. He goes over there and he's drawing Roth conversion and showing an example of conversions versus contributions. And, and we make it very interactive. But ultimately, one of the things I do is I kind of pull the audience, everybody who's in the room. And I ask them, I said, by a show of hands, how many of you 
are familiar with sequence of returns risk, or sometimes called the order of returns. Not one person put their hand up. I mean, almost never. Once in a blue moon, it's like seeing a unicorn, right? <laughs> that somebody will pop their hand up in one of these workshops. It just doesn't happen. So it's it's such a powerful topic to introduce uh, to clients because it differentiates you and it teaches them something nobody else has ever taught them before. But, you know, let's talk about the fact finder kind of process to piggyback off of that for a moment, Dave. So tell me about when you're taking them through a fact finder and you finish it up and you see that there's somebody that sequence of returns risk could be a serious danger in that situation. How do you kind of make that pivot from finishing up the fact finder to then pivoting it into talking about sequence of returns risk? Yeah, well, that's a super important moment. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, just Consumers aren't aware of sequence of returns risk. They don't understand how it's a risk in retirement or what it could do to their income stream or their wealth. And so uh, what we like to do is just keep it high level. Uh, don't dive too much into the weeds. I mean, there are research reports and white papers and all kinds of stuff on sequence of returns risk. But what I found is, is a really easy transition statement, kind of a warming statement of, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, thank you so much for sharing all that information with me throughout that kind of uh, that, that questionnaire process. Um, and I have to commend you guys. You guys have done a great job going through what we call the accumulation phase in saving for, uh, for retirement. Um, the accumulation phase is actually one of the phases of what we call the money cycle. Are you familiar with the money cycle? And so I'll pause there and I want to make it very conversational and interactive. As we mentioned on the last podcast, right? Good sales is about doing more listening than talking. You did two things there, Dave, just to hit the pause button. Number one, you congratulated them for what a good job they did after you did the fact finder. Fantastic way to transition. Then number two, you asked a question because to keep them engaged, right? And you ask them a question that requires them to respond, whether they've ever heard of the money cycle before. Yeah, and that congratulations is huge. I mean, how many times, Jason, have you sat in the room with uh, uh, somebody, you know, getting ready for retirement and like they feel inadequate? They're like, oh, I don't think we've saved yes, enough, right? Totally. And yeah. like when you're like, congratulations, you're doing a good job, you're on track. like. They have this sigh of relief now, and it's not like judging them that, ooh, you've only saved this much. And so uh, going into that transition, so we asked them the question, have you ever heard of the money cycle or are you familiar with the money cycle? And they generally are going to say no. And so we simply share with them, well, there's three phases of the money cycle and everyone goes through it. I'm going through it. You're going through it. We all go through it. And those three phases are accumulation when you're younger you're working you're trying to save and accumulate as much money as you can so that one day you have the financial well-being to be able to retire you've saved up and accumulated enough money where you can live the rest of your life out in retirement without having to go to work and earn a paycheck and you can afford to take on more risk in the accumulation phase you know you can afford to take on the volatility and risk of ups and downs in the market because if you make an investment and you lose the money, well, you're working. You can make that money back, right? You can replenish it. Or if you 
uh, are in the market and the market crashes, I mean, you got time to wait for it to rebound and come back in the accumulation phase. Absolutely. But when you get to about five to 10 years out from retirement, now you've, you're financially stable. You've built up this nest egg. You start to enter what we call the preservation phase of the money cycle. Preserving a portion of the money that you're going to need to rely upon for that third and final phase, which is distribution. Distribution to yourself through retirement and distribution to your family amongst your passing. And the biggest mistake that we see people make is they go right from the accumulation phase into the distribution phase and they never take the time to preserve a portion of the money that they're going to need to rely upon for income and retirement. And now I'm going to interject. Yeah. Dave just said another key point that I want to point out. If you're explaining the money cycle, accumulation, preservation, distribution, and the biggest mistake people make, if you're explaining this to clients to set up sequence of returns risk, or even just to explain it high level, portion. Don't forget the word portion. Because if you don't say a portion of the assets, you're going to come across as being Mr. Conservative and just like, preserve all your assets because you're going into retirement. And that's not the case, especially if you're doing a bucketing approach. That doesn't make sense to go preserve all your assets once you're entering retirement. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, a great point. And so preserving a portion of the money for that third and final phase, which is distribution. And what I generally like to do is follow up with the story. You know, and I'll make it engaging and ask another question. I'll say, when's the last time we really, you know, experienced a major market crash that probably set people back financially in a pretty big way, right? And certainly over the last 10 years, we've had some volatility. You know, we've had these 10%, 15, even 20% drops intra-year. But the last major market correction people talk about is 2008, right? The, the, great, uh, the, the great financial crisis that we saw. And what I'll share with them is that, you know, when, when we saw individuals who spent 20, 30, 40 years working, saving, accumulating, and in 2006 or 2007, they thought they had saved enough money to finally be able to retire. And for them, based on longevity, retirement might last 20, 30, hey, you know, never even know, maybe 40 years. And so they saw their, their nest egg, their retirement balances built up. And in 2007, they retire. And now instead of accumulating, they're now spending money. They're living off of their retirement assets. And then in 2008, what happened? And I sit back and what do the prospects say? You know, they generally like sink their hand pointing down or sometimes they'll whistle or, you know, they'll say, you know, the market crashed. They lost 30, 40, 50, 60 percent of their money. They saw their account balances fall by half. And why did that happen? Well, it happened because once they decided they were about to retire, they never took the time to reallocate and, and jet, uh, build a retirement plan. They never took the time to preserve a portion of the money that they're going to need to weather any short-term financial storms. And now looking back at that time period, we know that that, you know, from, from the downturn of that market to recovery took three, four, five years. And so if they would have preserved a portion of their money, 
those people would have still been in retirement instead of having to go back and look for, for work. And we all saw in the news in 2008 and 2009 and 10 that, you know, all these people had to go back and try to find jobs, these retirees who thought they had enough money to last them through retirement. And that's when really across the entire world, this whole concept of sequence of returns risk became really, really well known and well established that when you go into retirement and you don't have a guaranteed pension and you need to draw off of your liquid investable assets, you gotta, you gotta preserve a portion of your money to rely upon for income in that first phase of your retirement. Yeah, no, and you know what I'm gonna do too, Dave, you did a great job of kind of talking about the fact finder. So I'm gonna circle back and talk about how I use talking about um, sequence of returns risk um, in, uh, in seminars. So in the seminar last night, for example, uh, that I did on taxes and retirement. You know, on the surface, you, you're like, okay, well, how does, you know, how are you going to tie in sequence of returns risk into a topic or a seminar on taxes in retirement? Well, here's where I've positioned it and it works really well. When we get to the point where we talk about required minimum distributions, and this is a great way you know, from a presentation standpoint, stories are king. You gotta figure out ways to inject as many stories as you can. And so I'm, I interject a story right when we get to talking about required minimum distributions. And the story I tell to set up um, a chart that we'll talk about in a moment um, on sequence of returns risk that we call feeling lucky, um, it's, uh, I, so what I do is, so the RMD kind of chart comes up. And last night, so Brian, you know, brings it up. And we, and, and first thing I do is I say, now how many of you um, know what age you have to take required minimum distributions at? And so by a show of hands, you know, how many, or who knows what the age is, or just call it out. So again, getting interaction throughout. And so every, somebody, uh, you know, always knows the name, uh, number, it's 70 and a half. And then when do you have to take your first required minimum distribution? So last night, you know, somebody said, by the end of the year. I'm like, close, but uh, you're close. And then somebody else said, by the end of the month of when you turn 70 and a half. And I'm like, that's close too, but that's not quite it. Because you don't want to say wrong, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm like, that's close too, not quite it. And uh, does anybody else know? And then I said to Brian, and I'll say to you, Dave, do you know when do you have to take the required minimum? When do you have to take required RMD? By the end of your uh, required beginning date? Yeah, it's it's actually so um, it's so if I turn 70 and a half this year, um, I can't I have till April 1st of the next year to take the required minimum distribution. And nobody knows that. Mm -hmm. Right. Nobody realizes that. So ultimately, that's a cool little nugget you kind of teach them. So, and then I say to them now, if I were to not take it this year and ultimately took the required minimum distribution the following year, how many required minimum distributions would I have to take in the following year? How many? Two, because I have to also take that year's required minimum distribution by the end of the year. So now all of a sudden, so some people will accidentally do that or not realize, and they'll end up having to take two required minimum distributions in one year. 
Um, and then that can obviously push them up into a higher tax that they don't realize when they think they're just deferring and taking advantage of what the government allows them to do and not take the RMD in the year they turn 70 and a half. Now, what it does do is give some flexibility, obviously, for if you're still working, you can you know defer the RMD, but that's a whole nother conversation because there's some flexibility there as well. But um, now what I'll do is, so I'll get some, you know, share with them some of that strategy to start talking about RMD. And then I'll say, you know, let me tell you a story about a woman, a woman that came in to see me in July of 2002. She was a referral. So she came in uh, from an existing client, referred her in and she sat in, she sat down and she said, I think I made a mistake. And I said, okay, what, what was the mistake, Betty? She said, well, my husband passed away a couple going on three years ago now. And I really haven't looked at any of the financial stuff. And, but I did get a letter I opened up and they said I was supposed to take out a required minimum distribution, but I hadn't taken that out. And so that's why I'm here to see you. I wanted to see, you know, what the situation is. She leans over the desk and she picks up a brown paper bag and dumps it onto the desk of a ton of, a bunch of unopened statements. So we start kind of digging through and it turns out Betty's now 72 years old and she's missed two required minimum distributions. Oh, right. And her husband and her had done a pretty good job of accumulating assets and their, her required minimum distribution was about $40,000. So that she was uh, surprised at the penalty on that. Yeah. Well, that's the next thing I'll say to the audience and in the <laughs> middle of the story, I'll say, does anyone know what the penalty is on a required minimum distribution? If you miss it, what percentage is the IRS penalty? Most nobody ever knows, most often. It's 50%. And she missed two required minimum distributions. And so I have them do the math and everybody's just like, whoa, right? And now let's also, so, cause I'm talking to you about two things that you wanna avoid in retirement. One is you don't wanna miss a required minimum distribution, but number two, I want to talk to you about something else you can avoid, which is called sequence of returns risk. Does anybody remember where the market was in July of 2002? Down. Yeah. And people, th they think about it, it takes a, a minute to process, but it was right near the bottom. Yep. Right. And I never forget, I mean, it was a hot day and, you know, we're sitting there and it's because, you know, the, one of those hot, humid days that, even somehow the humidity gets inside and we're kind of like sitting there. And I just remember distinctly being like earlier that morning, it was like the sky was falling, the market was never going to recover. And so unfortunately in Betty's situation, the markets at the bottom, she has to take out two required minimum distributions and pay penalties of 50% on both of those. So now all of a sudden, you know, not only is she subject to, you know, the mistake of the RMD, but she also is subjecting her overall portfolio to sequence of returns risk because she can never make that money back. And so she's forced to sell out when the market's down and she has she takes a hit because of the 
uh, the tax and penalty that she's going to have to pay on the RMD. Between the tax and penalty, probably more like 80% of her RMD went to the government. It's insane. Wow. Right. And so now what I do is I tell that story to start to give them do uh, awareness of the of uh, the RMD and then of sequence of returns risk. And so then I bring up the feeling lucky chart. <laughs> and so, Dave, you've delivered this how many times? But basically... Tell them like kind of yeah. what that chart's all about. The, the chart, you know, you can't see it visually, but it's very simple. So it basically just shows a investor who is in the accumulation phase and they invest $100,000 over a 10-year time period. They average a 6% return over the 10 years, but the timing of the returns are different. So in example A, on the left-hand side, it shows good returns early on of positive 30 and positive 20, and then six years in the middle of 10% returns. And then at the end, it shows two bad years of negative 30 and negative 20. So visually, the, the, the prospect can see that the 30s cancel out, the 20s cancel out. It leaves six years of 10 in the middle. That gets you to your average of 6% average return. And then over on and the I'll right. say to them, what's it? So you can see there's six years. These cancel each other out. I walk them through very slowly. And then I'll say, now, for the math people in the room, what's six times 10? 60. Right. And what's 60 divided by the 10 years? Six. Six percent. That's right. how we come up with the six percent average return. Because I want them to be very aware of that six percent average return, because we're going to follow that all through the rest of the explanation. Yeah, absolutely. So then on the right hand side on the same page, just right next to it, it shows the exact scenario, but just the order of returns is exactly the opposite. So we start with negative 30, negative 20, then six years of positive 10. And then and at the end, we have positive 20, positive 30. And so the only difference between the two scenarios is the order of returns is flip flopped or the sequencing is reversed. And what the prospect gets the opportunity to see side by side is that when you're in the accumulation phase, the order of your returns doesn't matter because at the end of 10 years, you have the exact same account balance. And so order of returns is not a risk when you're in the accumulation phase of the money cycle. But on the backside of our chart, when we flip it over, we give the exact same case, but now we add a $6,000 distribution from the initial investment each year. So on the backside is somebody who's now in the distribution phase of the money cycle. And we show the exact same order of returns. The first side shows positive 30, positive 20 for the first two years, negative 20, negative 30 for the last two years. And what's really interesting is that when you have a positive sequencing of returns, early on in retirement, you're going gonna, you're gonna to be in pretty decent shape. I mean, in that case, the client put in $100,000. They took out $60,000 over 10 years, $6,000 a year of income, and they ended up in year 10 with $105,000 left in their account. And so how many of our prospects and clients think that, hey, if I, if I average 6% out, and I average 6% return, then I'm going to be in good shape throughout retirement, right? I, I mean, remember when I first uh, entered the investment industry, that's the way I thought it worked. If you average 
and you can pull out 6,000 bucks a year or 6% per year and you'll be okay. In that example, in the accumulation phase, it does work that way. Absolutely, but when you flip, when there's, a positive, when there's positive returns, right? Yeah. But when you flip the order of the returns and now we experience negative 30, negative 20, then six years of 10, then positive 20, positive 30, we still have the same average 6%, but in that case, at year 10, the client's got about $38,000 left in their account balance. And when they visually see that side by side, that if you experience bad years early on in retirement, you can run the risk of running out of money and substantially deplete your account balances, it shifts the entire conversation from rates of return to focusing on account balance in retirement. You know what it does too, I tell you what, if you give that in a workshop, because we do that chart and we flip, you know, we go slide by slide. And when you bring up the 105,000 versus the 38,000 by reversing the sequence of returns, it is a literal gasp in the audience. I mean, you can hear it. You can ver you can literally hear people gasp in the audience. Yeah. And you know what? I, what I generally will do is, you know, and I'll, I'll I'll sit back then and say, now these are these are kind of hypothetical numbers to show you the mathematical concept of sequence of returns risk. The point I wanted to illustrate here is when you enter retirement, it's extremely critical that you preserve a portion of the money you're going to need to rely upon for the first phase of retirement. Because if you do experience negative years early on, you can see how it could decimate your account balances and your retirement dreams later on in life. Now, think about where the stock market is at right now. We've just gone through a 10-year bull market cycle and we don't have a crystal ball. We can't predict the future, but a lot of people think we're probably closer to the end of the bull market than we are the beginning of the bull market. And there's a pretty decent probability that we may see some sort of major market correction sometime sooner rather than later, right? And so in today's environment for the people getting ready to retire, the concept of protecting and preserving against sequence of returns risk is more important than almost anything else out there right now to preserve the integrity of their retirement for as long as they're alive. And people really can resonate with that simple concept. You know, you just can't lose big chunks of money early on in retirement. What if you get an analytical engineer that's like, well, those aren't real returns. <laughs> those aren't realistic. Yeah, I could manage it through stocks and bonds, right? And, and I have bonds in my portfolio as that safety net. And, you know, there's a great piece that, that we created that uh, for anyone who's on the podcast, just uh, email our team, info at clarity2prosperity.com. We can, we can get you some more information on this. Um, but we created a piece that shows just a traditional 60-40 portfolio. 60% stocks, 40% bonds. The stocks are the S&P 500, the bonds are the U.S. Barclays uh, Aggregate Index. So it's a, it's a real portfolio with real performance and, you know, a pretty, pretty decent option for a retiree, right? 60%, 40%. And it shows us taking a withdrawal rate out of that portfolio every single year. And it shows two clients, again, just like the example we did earlier shows, and I'm not going to get into the details of it, but the punchline is that the only difference between the two clients is the year in which they retired. One client retired in 1969, which for those of you who have followed the markets know, 
that we kind of went into a sideways market. In a six-year period, there was three up years and three down years. Now, the other client retired in 1979. Those were the only two differences between the two case studies. And for those of you who follow the markets know in 1979, we went into more of a bull market cycle, a great bull market cycle. And the, when you look at the two of these clients and their projected retirements, the one who retired in 1969 completely runs out of money by age 89, right? So if they were still living at age 89, they're now eating cat food. The one who retired in 1979 has over a million dollars left in their account balance. They retired into a great bull market. And so again, it just leaves the concept of, do you wanna rely on luck of retiring into a bull market into the future, or do you wanna protect against this really well-known risk that we face today in a retiree's portfolio called sequence of returns risk? So we call that chart, why 79 is better than 69. And, um, and it's, uh, it's definitely the one that gives you the actual analytical data if somebody's like, hey, I wanna, you know, those aren't real returns if you get somebody challenging you. Um, but the, uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up is when you show that chart, what, what, I, li what I really like about it is um, the fact that you can ask somebody the question, you know, if you were given the choice of a higher rate of return with a lower account balance or a lower rate of return with a higher account balance, which would you choose if given the choice? And it's, it, you know, it's it's kind of a trick question. It's a mind bender. People are like, what? They don't even know how to think when you ask that question. But it's a reality that with sequence of returns risk, that can happen. And this chart shows it. Um, basing up based on the timing of returns. But uh, today's point, if you want to see these visuals, uh, check out the webinar because we're going to go through these uh, visuals on the webinar or email us and we can get you information on the webinar. Yeah, and Jason, I just want to close out with kind of one story. Um, I had a, a client in January, February of last year, pretty high net worth client. They had about five to six million dollars um, of investable assets. Uh, they were with Merrill Lynch. They were sitting in an individual stock portfolio for all their money. It was a hundred, I still remember it because I. it took a while to build out the analytics, but they were an engineer, so they needed to see all the analytics of how this impacted their exact portfolio. And so, so we made it real for them. And what we did was we took all 129 positions that they had of individual stocks and a few mutual funds and things like that, but mostly individual stocks at Merrill Lynch, and we built it out into an analytics tool that we use called Quanti, K-W-A-N-T-I, great, great analytics tool available out there. And so I have all 129 positions in Quanti, and I'm doing the meeting virtually with this prospect at the time. And, you know, we explained the money cycle and accumulation, preservation, and distribution, the biggest mistake that we see people make. And we explained to them that the solution to this approach is to take our bucket planning philosophy to segmenting their money into three simple buckets, a now bucket, their safe and liquid money, a soon bucket, which is that preservation portion of the money cycle. It's money earmarked to provide them reliable income through the first phase of retirement. And then the later bucket, which is all the rest of their money, which is where these individual stock and fund portfolios and really allocated towards growth is.
And so, you know, they, they kind of got it, but we needed to make it real for them. And so what we did was we plugged in all of their positions into Quanti and we're able to show the past performance of those holdings. And so we look at the period of 2007 to 2010. And in Quanti, I have the ability to hit a button that says max drawdown. And what that button does is it shows you how much your portfolio would have fallen during that time period. And I asked them before I pushed the button. So they're looking at my computer screen. We've got some anticipation built. And I asked, uh, let's, it was Bob and Ann. So I asked, I said, Bob and Ann, if you were to retire in 2007 holding this exact portfolio and they needed about $130,000 of retirement income to live off of, I said, if you were holding this exact portfolio, how much do you think your account balances would have fallen in 2008? And they both were like, ooh, we don't really even want to think about that. And Bob goes, you know, Ann, Ann, what do you think? You know, Ann actually was the one who picked some of the stocks. And she was like, um, you know, maybe 30%. And I said, okay, so if in 2008, assuming you didn't take any income out, if your portfolio would have fallen 30%, how much would it have needed to recover to get back to even? And they were like, ooh, I don't, I don't know. We know it's more than 30, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's not a real trick question, but if your portfolio fell 30%, you would need a 43% recovery just to get back to even. That's under the assumption that you guys were fortunate enough where that year you didn't need to take any money out of your portfolio to live off of. Because if you would have actually taken withdrawals out for your retirement income that you need, this 130,000, then you would have needed a way bigger return than 43% because not all of your money is still invested to participate in the recovery. So then I said, all right, here's the moment of truth. Based on the portfolio allocation you have at Merrill Lynch, if it was 2008 again, and I hit the max drawdown button, and on the computer screen, the max drawdown comes up. And guess what it was? What? 65%. Whoa. They're, they're Four or five million dollars of investable assets in that portion of their portfolio would have fallen by 65 percent in 2008 based on the current holdings. And I asked them one simple question to maintain a safe withdrawal rate in retirement. Would you be willing and able to cut all of your living expenses by 65 percent in retirement to maintain a safe withdrawal rate academically? And they were like, absolutely not. And we were like, well, we can absolutely put a plan in place where you don't have to. That's what we call the bucket plan. And it set the stage perfectly to bring it into their world, make it real for them and show them the reality of sequence of returns risk and how devastating it could be to their long-term retirement. That's great. You know, uh, one, of, uh, one of the advisors that works with us, Tim Claremont, uh, was in one of our trainings. And he, he said the way he explained sequence of returns risk, and, and I'm going off memory, so you can help me do yep. this, Dave. But I love it because the, the line I use often is, you know, uh, have you ever heard of sequence of returns risk? And people most likely, as I said before, have it. Well, have you ever heard of dollar cost averaging? And most everybody has, right? And so what sequence of returns risk is the evil twin brother to dollar of dollar cost averaging. 
Yeah, that's awesome. The evil twin brother. I mean, the reality of it is it's investing 101. I mean, what's like the number one rule of investing? Buy low and sell high, right? You don't have to be Warren Buffett to figure that out. And when you're dollar cost averaging, when you're in the accumulation phase, you're getting the benefits of volatility. Because when the market falls like 2008 and you're adding money to your 401ks or your after-tax accounts or your Roths and you're adding money and the market is down, what are you doing? You're buying low, right? right. You're buying more shares. Right. But when you're in retirement, you're, when you're in the distribution phase, now it's not dollar cost averaging. It's sequence of returns risk. And when the market goes down like in 2008 or like in the fourth quarter of last year in 2018, and now you're selling to generate retirement income, are you adding or are you redeeming? Are you buying or are you selling? selling? You're selling, right? You're violating the number one most basic rule in all of investing, buy low and sell high. And so I love that concept. It's the, the evil twin or evil uncle or whatever you want to call it, yeah. um, but it's fantastic. Love it. Evil so, twin brother. Evil Thanks, twin Tim, brother. for that. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to call it a wrap, and uh, hopefully you got some great nuggets today on sequence of returns risk. Don't forget to check out the white paper also on this concept. You'll get to visualize some of those tools, and, and as Jason mentioned, that deeper dive for, uh, for more training and how to use these tools and more stories. Uh, the webinar, definitely. Also, the business development team here at Clarity to Prosperity. We're here to help you with any of this stuff, implementing it, learning some of these resources. So reach out to any of the business development team members you might have had conversations with or worked with in the past. And we look forward to having you on the next podcast. Yep. Thanks. The Bucket Plan On Demand podcast series is brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity, a financial training, coaching, and IP development organization led by financial advisors, coaches, and business leaders committed to taking a holistic approach on advising. To learn more about our organization and upcoming training opportunities for financial professionals, visit ClarityToProsperity.com.